Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiact. Each week we are meeting with incredible leaders from across Australia and around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. Many of us will agree, especially if we own our own business, that since the COVID-19 pandemic, the uncertainty of business operations has become one of our biggest challenges. On top of this, this uncertainty impacts our staff, they are unable to stay focused, and this can lead to low performance. Today, my co-host, CEO of Peerlite, Gus Sarianto and I are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Preeti Inchodi, Managing Director of Ankura, a global advisory business focusing on the merger and acquisition process. Throughout her career, Preeti has been dealing firsthand with both successful and distressed businesses. Today, Preeti is here to share her experiences with us so we can all learn how to manage uncertainty during difficult times and ensure employees are committed and their performance remains high. Welcome to the show, Preeti. Thank you for having me, Natalie and Gus. It's a privilege to be here. And I just want to say congratulations on creating this platform. I think it's really amazing. I've looked up some of the other episodes and it was really good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you, Preeti, for donating your valuable time. Pleasure. I appreciate it. So, Preeti, you would have noticed that we ask each of our guests two fun questions to begin each show. So, we <laughs> do have two prepared for you. Um, first one is, what was your first job, if you can share that with us? Yeah, my uh, first job actually was back home in India, where I grew up in Mumbai. And it was actually working the trading floor. So a very intense environment, um, you know, you see people make a lot of money and lose a lot of money as a very young person. It was fascinating to watch a very fast paced environment, a very can do environment. And I learned a lot and I still, you know, miss the adrenaline of those days sometimes when we were on the trading floor. So, yeah, that was my first yeah, interesting. job. And if you could invite one person to dinner, who would that person be and why? Well, my pick would be a person called Bozema St. John. She is the chief marketing officer of Netflix, and she was previously the head of Apple Music and has been at top brands. She's a Ghanaian-American woman and a huge ambassador for showing up to work as you are authentically in how you dress, how you speak, and, you know, I find myself now in Australia in an industry where probably 95 or 99% of the people don't look like me. And it's something I relate to incredibly. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go to dinner with her. Oh, fantastic. And, and look, going on from that, you know, we Gus and I met with you um, earlier this week and you shared with us your story and it was really inspiring. Uh, would, it, would you be comfortable sharing that with the world? We'd love to hear your story. Oh, thank you, Natalie. I mean, I have never shared that story because it's just been a personal, uh, uh, you know, journey. But yes, I would like to share that story and hopefully it helps someone else in my position. So I started, I am from Bombay to go back. I, I was born and grew up in Bombay, a city of 25 million, 20 to 25 million people. So I'd say almost the size of the whole of Australian population. And growing up in that city taught me the value of opportunity because opportunity was what everyone in Bombay really strive hard to get. And also then the next step that once you have an opportunity, you give it your all, right? And that was life. That was my first upbringing years. And I had a very successful career at a Goldman Sachs um, uh, JV company, which is one of the largest financial services organizations in uh, India doing equity capital markets. So that was the first part of my career journey. Um, Ten years ago, I followed my husband here to Australia because uh, he was really keen to take up a job here and I followed him. And, uh, you know, m my career 
went topsy-turvy because when I came here, none of my overseas experience was really recognized by people. Uh, even though, you know, I had been to the best business schools in the world, it did not count. And at 31 or 32, I started again as an analyst with a baby, uh, probably working alongside 24-year-olds who could afford to be 10 hours or 12 hours or 16 hours in the office, and I couldn't. And I would say that was a very humbling experience for me to go back to the beginning. Uh, but I was determined to make it, you know, in my in my mind, nothing is impossible. So I was so determined and committed to make it. Uh, but there were parts of me which always felt, oh, my God, this is so unfair. Why do I have to start again? And the reason I share that story is a few years ago, I started working with a coach who actually said to me, until you stop uh, blaming circumstances, you're not going to have a breakthrough. And that to me was a transformational experience for me. So I said, you know what? I take complete ownership of my circumstances and I'm, I'm going to go forward. And so I show up here because I just want to say there are so many people, we live in a very global world, have to move countries and jobs due to various circumstances. You know, I, I came here by choice. Some people not by choice move countries. And, you know, there is still hope. It, it's just everything's in your mind and how you deal with that situation. So that's my journey. And, you know, today I, I am at an amazing organization, uh, having an amazing set of colleagues and working with some amazing clients. So I've come out the other end and I just want to share that little bit of, about myself. And pretty, I just want to add to what you say, because every time I engage with you, you know, when you mention about you move from India, arrive in Australia, you have several, high, you know, high level degrees, master degrees in business from world best schools. And, and yet you have to start from zero again. Uh, and you said life is unfair. And I always believe that life not meant to be fair. That's right. And you are someone that I see demonstrating the acceptance of that really well. Yeah, thank um, you. Can you just quickly, uh, before I pass it back to Ned, on your darkest time back then, what make you keep going, knowing that you can easily fall into the trap of what many people uh, can go as well, which is blaming the circumstances, the fact that you make your choice to arrive in Australia. Yes. So, what do you say to yourself back then? I think I was uh, fortunate in that I really love what I do and the work I do with my clients. So I was never willing to give that up, uh, regardless the circumstance. And that to me was my anchor at all times. And even today, uh, you know, we work together, Gus, and I, I absolutely love the work I do. And I think that kept me going. You know, so I was fortunate that I have a career or work that I really enjoy. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing the story. Very yeah. inspiring. Thank um, you. So you're obviously you do a different businesses right around the world um, every day. What do you think are the top, let's say, two characteristics um, that leaders running successful businesses represent? So top two characteristics. <sighs> I think my top two would be, first one would be leaders who are able to attract people to a mission that is greater than the jobs that they're doing. You know, it goes back to the, um, we've all read that example or meme or, you know, whether it's a real story, I'm not sure, but about this cleaner at NASA who says, I'm putting a man on the moon. And I think as long as you can give people a purpose beyond you know, whatever it is they're doing in the business, their accounting, their customer service, their product, whatever it is, that we are building the best brand. We are building the best customer service or we are building the best product. So I think that gives the business a lot more loyalty uh, and, and firepower to build the, the strategy it has. Um, the second one is something which someone recently uh, pointed out to me, and I thought it resonated really well, is the ability to attract people who are better than yourselves. 
uh, to, to go to the next level. And I think this is one of those things in our subconscious we never deal with, right? Like uh, how many of us are really, really able to hire people working for us or with us who are far better than ourselves? And so that's all about the growth mindset. And to me, these two things, I think, are a successful leader to me. So... Yeah. I love when you mentioned about the growth mindset and the ability of leaders actually allowing themselves not to be the Superman. You yeah. know, in my organization, I always say that Superman is no longer uh, the savior <laughs> because you cannot have one person try to save the world. You you need to be surrounded by people that is excellence around you. And when you say it about the growth mindset, leaders that actually humble enough to accept that other other people actually able to to offer different advantage, yep. which Albert Einstein always said, you know, do not judge the fish for its ability to fly. Mm. And and for me, uh, you know, speaking to you for uh, for a few years, you know, uh, we talk about this, that, the, the, you know, I agree with you. I agree with you. The minute that any business, any leaders actually allowing themselves uh, to actually it's okay to be surrounded by people that is better because your business is not only there when you are there, yep. but your business have to be there yep. past after you are yep. there. Yep. So it's fantastic. If yep. we were to actually flip it I then and actually look at the damaging characteristics of leaders, in your experience, Preeti, what would you think would be the two most damaging characteristics? Mm-hmm. That way we can actually actively look at avoiding these. I think... Um, well, damaging is a strong word, but I think one characteristic which definitely does not help is, um, you know, quite often you walk into rooms and businesses where there is an elephant in the room and no one's talking about it uh, fear, for the fear of upsetting the leader. And that, I think, is a highly damaging environment to be in because you cannot be the know-all or be-all of the business. So having the ability to take feedback, I'm not saying the leader should act on every feedback they get, but having the ability or creating an environment where people can talk about it and you listen, you actually listen, is, is important. So the second part of that trait is there are leaders and organizations who say, Yep, I'm all for feedback. Come on, give it to me. And then you give it to them and then nothing. And then (laughs) silence. So what that tells the other person is, well, you can say it, but really not say it. So I think the ability to have a culture around you where everyone can bring their, um, you know, uh, input to the table uh, is important. And... uh, in so far as that the leader cannot do that, it can be pretty damaging from a small business to a big business. This this impacts everyone because it's about communication. Yeah. Have you got anything to add to that, Gus? Yeah. I know you're very. Um, everyone can give you feedback, correct? In your in at Peelight. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought. So. <laughs> uh, you know, I really. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not perfect yeah. by any means. We're you know, depending learning. on the day. You know, Every some day. of the feedback would be. Yeah, some of the feedback could be very brutal and I need to eat the humble pie <laughs> before I wake up the next day and actually execute the feedback. But I totally yeah. agree what Pretty said. Uh, the ability of a leader is to actually create an environment where people thrive to actually be able to be transparent. So transparency is one thing that I strive to bring into my business. Uh, is key. I, I uh, mean, it is absolutely key. If I can ask you, I mean, you have led, what I would consider one of the most successful transformations I've seen in my career. And I'm sure that would have been filled with moments like the ones we just talked about, having feedback from different layers of the organization. And I mean, you've successfully, with tremendous success, achieved that. So clearly there must be some learnings for you out of that. I mean, you say that pretty easily, but I'm sure there were some hard days as well with the feedback. So how would you say there are some things you've learned of that journey? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, I uh, thank you for that question. Uh, as today is about <laughs> you, uh, not us, but, you know, as you asked the question, I'm very proud of our achievement as well. 
you know, just like you, pretty, I have a coach that been coaching me more than a decade. And, uh, you know, when I have the opportunity to lead Kaylight, she said to me, uh, you want to grow, you want to transform, then you need to make sure that uh, you are accepting what people say uh, and you need to act on it. Exactly what you say before. Yeah. The fact that I opened myself and said, okay, I might be biased about my organization, but tell me how can we bring this car, car as a representation of my business, into the best mountain with the best view. And one guy said, well, Gus, you're not, you're not actually that good in driving. So let us driving that because if you drive, you drive 60 kilometers per hour instead of 100. Uh, things like that can be very hard. So that's number one. Secondly, pretty, I think this is not a secret. You've been on alongside seeing my journey and the transformation of our business. People matter. Yeah. People is actually the most valuable asset of any organization. And when I talk about people, I'm talking of the whole people in the organization. It's not one or two. Yeah. So our ability to actually focus on the strength of the people instead of focusing on what people not doing well, yeah. allow my business to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. And then growth mindset. Uh, well, I... I have to steal what you say before because uh, in the absence of growth mindset or ability to bring the business to be able to see further, mm. as you know, my business have a tagline beyond light. We are a lighting. We are the largest lighting company. Yet my tagline is beyond light. Why? Because I want people to understand that our business will last for 100 years to come beyond the technology that happened today. Yeah. And this ability of infinite mindset. So, if anyone haven't read the book by Simon Sinek, I'm very, uh, I'm very uh, biased about this book. I love this book. Uh, this is the book that transformed my business. We changed our mission, our vision, uh, in the mind of growth mindset. Thank you. Thank you, Pretty. I can talk about this for one hour. <laughs> thank you for yeah, sharing. Actually, Gus, no, you mentioned something really interesting there. You mentioned coaching and that both of you have coaches. And I know we've had a previous discussion, Preeti, about the importance of having a mentor. How important is this for um, any leader, regardless if you're a small or medium business owner, to have a mentor? Well, I think it's pretty important and I can speak from my experience. Um, you know, I have actively invested in having a coach and mentors. And I just want to touch on the difference in both. A coach is a person, of course, I pay for their time to, to um, work with me through specific issues I have. But I also have a whole set of mentors. And mentors can be junior or senior, right? I have a mentor who's 10 years younger to me even, who gives me some feedback, which I go, ooh, I hadn't thought of that, you know. Uh, and I have senior mentors as well. The other thing I want to mention is we now live in an age where we have access to the internet. We, we are so fortunate to be living in a time where we have access to real-time um, interviews, uh, knowledge uh, at our fingertips, right? And so... I have this concept of digital mentors. Now, these are mentors who don't even know I exist, right? Um, but people in the business sphere who I admire, like I talked about um, the uh, Netflix CMO a little while back, people I admire in business or how they show up in business every day and who create content on social platforms, be it Instagram, it's uh, LinkedIn. And I find that enriching because they're outside my sphere of people I deal with every day. So when I listen to these people, they give me completely radically new ideas uh, as far as I'm concerned, which actually helps me think better, right? So that, that that's one thing I'd like to say, that coaching and mentors is not always a price thing. But having said that, every dollar I spend on my coach is, you know, the best money I, I invest in myself because She is able to have really hard conversations with me, um, for better or worse. At, at times, I, I think I'm a very resilient person, but she, she will turn around and tell me, no, you're just making an excuse. That is an excuse. You know, you have to take complete 
ownership of that. And it has been transformational for me. So I would highly recommend, and also it's given me uh, a platform to share my challenges in a way with someone who I can work through that with objectively and not project my um, ups and downs, which every human being's as, to my team. You know, so I, I think it has been very valuable for me. And as a small business, sometimes it can be very lonely. So I think if you invest in a coach or a mentor, what what whoever you feel comfortable with, it'll give you help you work through things um, in a in a safe and supportive environment, and then you can lead your team better. That's my view. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's really important where you said, you know, you kind of think that mentor has a price tag attached to it, but you've just mentioned the way, yeah. you know, a digital mentor, which is quite interesting. I've never heard of that, you know, a digital mentor, but it is something that we don't actually realize we're receiving that mentorship just by yeah. watching yeah. all this. So with, I yeah. guess with all that, um, I would love to know um, with all your experience, your favorite leadership style and why you think this works. Because you obviously been with different businesses around the world, you would have seen yeah. everything. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad that you asked that question because 12 months ago, I had a big aha moment on this, on this exact topic with my coach. So I have always been a very people person. So my style of leadership has been very inviting, encouraging people to give me feedback, um, and so I had this positive bias to open style of leadership, right? And at the same time, I had a negative bias to a closed style of leadership. So when you think about closed style, you think about autocratic, you know, this, this uh, very authoritarian culture, it's closed. So my mindset is that's, that's bad, right? And having that judgment around what is good and what is bad actually prevented me to flip between styles as required in situations. So now I don't have I, I I don't have a moral bias of this is good and bad. I use what is right for the situation. Like as you know, girls, sometimes I work in very, very time critical environments. So sometimes there's no time to invite feedback from hundreds of people if something has to be done in two hours. Right? So it has to be closed so that you can help the team meet get on to the next step in the process. So losing that bias around what is positive and negative has helped me actually come up with a style which was catered to that particular situation. So to me, it's situational, um, how I think about leadership style. And I like what Pretty said because I think, um, and I could be not totally accurate around this, around adaptive leadership, you know, being very adaptable because if you are, and I, I use this analogy, if you are the captain of a boat, a big ship, and then have, the, uh, you know, the boat actually have a problem where it's just about to sink, you cannot gather your crew to have a 30 minutes conversation how to plug the hole. Yeah. Because exactly. by the time you plug the hole, it's finished. You, to be honest, you probably bring your uh, you, you know, every, you know, every power you have to make people use the life jacket and jump to the water yep. without explaining there is a hole. So I, I totally agree where, uh, where pretty actually uh, yeah. come from. Yeah. And then, uh, just on another angle, staying relevant today in business has been, you know, a question that we get asked all the time. What would be, um, your secret that you can share with businesses on how they can actually stay relevant? I think there are two things for me uh, around staying relevant. Um, the first thing is if there are new trends and technology around you, always be open-minded to investigate whether how your business can benefit from that. So let me give you an example. A few years ago, I worked with a couple of retailers, successful retailers who had built their brands and presence through a brick and mortar uh, stores, uh, but had very low online penetration at that given point in time compared to the industry. And so over time, the consumers has shifted to the online sphere and their business started to show 
you know, negative impact. And that I would say is a classic of not being able to keep up with, uh, you know, a evolving trend in the industry. Um, you know, let, let's take what I do, consulting professional services, for example. Um, you know, over initially it used to be like someone, it's a word of mouth, someone has to say you're good. You're, that was how selling was done, right? But now everyone has a platform on LinkedIn. Everyone can showcase their work. You know, a lot of people are not waiting for someone to say that someone is good. They're just going, hey, I'm out here and I've done this, right? So it's a new way of yeah. selling, a new way of engaging. So having the open mindset to think about a new trend or a technology and how it fits in your own business journey is important because many times you go into it with a bias, right? Like, oh, you know, that's not going to work. That's not going to last. And I think yeah. that is damaging. The second thing is um, more topical. It's around when things happen which are not in your control, right? Um, and, you know, COVID's a great example of that, but there are other situations I've come across which are not in your control. And how do you react to that, right? Do you react with a whole bunch of stress? How do you go into a planning mode? Do you Are you able to say, what is the best case? What is the worst case? What is a realistic case? And plan around that. And I think these two things, the ability to in, look into the future, invest into the future with the open mindset, and secondly, to be able to respond to uncontrollable factors around you. I would say these are the two things to me that are pretty critical and important to stay relevant. Yeah, and you know, it's I actually saw something that was quite interesting on the news about that where a cafe owner was interviewed and he said he took this time, Sydney-based cafe or restaurant owner, let's say, and he took this time during COVID to plan how he can execute, you know, once the lockdowns kind of get a bit better. And he was a restaurant hmm. owner that specified on one angle of, you know, whatever his menu was. Hmm. He implemented hmm. 14 brand new homemade quiches into his wow. actual menu. And he is yeah. saying to people, now that you can go and have a, you know, a picnic with your family, I have these 14 quiches that you can come and purchase. And they're takeaway quiches. Yeah. So he didn't limit himself and kind of... Yeah, took that angle. And I thought that was a really yeah. nice example that I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the ability to respond, yeah, those those two would be my top two uh, from everything I've seen. Is yeah. there anything you would want to add to that, Gus? No, no, I, yeah. I'm, I'm in total agreement with Pretty. I have a set of questions also that I, I want to pass to Pretty uh, around the, uh, you know, around her, uh, around her journey, especially dealing with uh, many distressed business, you know, because that's your part of the business. I love when you said to me pretty, uh, you know, a few years back, you said, you know, it's funny uh, when you look at your job, you do not actually look at it as a M&A consultant, or you do not actually see it that way. You always see it as a person that can help the people inside a company to stay relevant and stay exist for many years to come. Mm. That's your calling. That's yep. your why. Yep. Yeah, you know, yep. the, the late night that you do, you know, <laughs> the, the, it's not a secret. People <laughs> that work in financial understand about, you know, what's actually the meaning of late night. And I, um, just for your context, Natalie, I asked really, how do you, do you, do you actually drink <laughs> the rocks today? Because I never see you sleep. Yeah, he did actually ask. Right? <laughs> I actually say that, you know, like, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, pretty, you, you just never see pretty look sleepy. And she said, the only reason why I can stay like this is my calling, yep. which is the why yep. of her role, yep. which is helping the people in every organization to stay exist and relevant for many years to come. Pretty, I have to say that was the best answer you can give to me because I learned a lot from there. Yeah, I, thank I, you. I do learn a lot from there. Now, I want to ask you a question also. You know, when we talk about small and medium business, um, let's put an example of any business that just opened up. You know, when they open a business, they come with full of passion. They come with full of uh, of imagination that the business will last for a thousand years. The reality is, the minute you open the business, 
200 challenges come in front of yep. you, left, right, yep. and center. Now, can you just share with me, uh, based on your experience, what are the top three practical, practical, and you can put one from the hard skills and two from the leadership, practical element that any business owners need to watch on their business to make sure their business can pass through uncertainty or even if one day they want to sell the business through Ankura. <laughs> right? I think well, what, what's, yeah. what's, what is the, like the common things? I know it's a very open and very hard, yeah. but you know, your knowledge about this will be very solid. I think the first one and the biggest one which comes to mind for me is the ability to pivot, right? So what I mean by that is we all are in a culture, in a generation where everyone's working off to-do lists and strategies and six-month plan and 12-month plan and 36-month plan and five-year plan, which is great, right? But the reality is um, the, the plan is the thing we can control. But then there are other things which come into play. So when you start into business, you know, are you able to raise sufficient capital? Do you have enough working capital requirements? Is, uh, are there investors to fund you? How can you grow? They're not always controllable, right? So the ability to not be too fixated with your plan, but have the agility to pivot based on how things are evolving, I think is super important for a business. And this is very hard because you spend probably years dreaming about this plan, right? Now you open the doors. Now here I am, I've opened the shop or whatever it is you've opened. And actually it's not working out that way. So do you say, okay, can I try this? And know when to pivot, right? Knowing when to pivot or when to say, hey, this isn't working. Should I try something? New? I think that is very important, right? The second thing is being able to uh, back yourself a, a, a little bit. And this I say from my experience, right? I always try to go a little bit more than what I think I can do so that I grow into it, right? So this is a opposite advice. So not being too conservative, but just, you know, pushing yourself. Because if you always stay very small and safe, well, guess what? You'll be very safe, <laughs> but not growing in any direction, right? So this is the second thing uh, to me. And the third thing is sustainability of the business is around people, right? Like we talked about the growth mindset. Even if you're a small company with 10 people, do you have the right people in the in on the bus with you to the destination you're going will make a huge difference in how hard your day-to-day -day is, right? Are you working with people you enjoy being with? Are they on this journey with you? It'll make your day-to-day -day, uh, much more easier because if you're not on the, on the bus with these right people and you're driving this bus and everyone's uh, bored and trying to get off at the next stop, you know, it's no fun. You, you're not going to have fun. So how, and I think with people experience comes the customer experience. So it's all circular, it goes back to sustainability. Because if you take care of the people and you have the best people, you're able to serve your customers better. You get word of mouth, you get more referrals. And so it's, it's, it creates the sustainability loop in my mind. So to me, the first thing is not, ha you know, having the ability to pivot, knowing when to pivot, and thirdly, having the right team to execute on the strategy, I think are three things which uh, come to mind when I think about sustainability and growing in a business, you know? Um, How outstanding. Yeah. Is that <laughs> knowing how to pivot? I mean, I mean, for me, the statement of knowing how to pivot, mm. uh, it's something that is easy to say. Yep, very hard. Required to do and required a lot of courage to do, whether yep. you are a business owner, yep. an employee, a people, a, it doesn't matter who, mm. uh, who you are, mm. the ability to know when yeah. to pivot. Now, I have an additional question for you then, you know, based on your experience, Pretty, in the past, mm. you know, with your previous clients. Mm. How difficult to pivot? Like how like how do business imagine if it's if if we are a small mechanic shop 
based in Sydney that currently hoping that people drive to my shop, uh, mechanic shop to actually changing oil and blah, blah. Uh, we have COVID. You know, there is people that currently offering uh, come to the house service, like uh, I think Loop Mobile, for example, you know, they come. Like, how do I pivot? Like, what what are the some of the challenges that you see where business become very slow in pivoting? That, that is a great question because a lot of uh, businesses which ultimately reach a point of no return, unfortunately, are businesses which are unable to pivot on time, right? Um, because it's it's a very hard process. Pivot is a very easy thing to say, but very hard hard to do. Now, if you're a startup, pivot may be slightly easier. But if you're a large business with hundreds of people um, or 200 people, it, it is not an easy thing to do because you have to make very hard decisions like saying, I, I don't want to sell that product anymore or we can't have that many people uh, in a in a non-productive role. So th- th- those go back to very hard decisions, right? So the normal human tendency is to be hopeful, is to be hopeful that whatever plan you're executing is working, right? And that may be the first right step, but if it's not, you got to give yourself time and say, okay, if if this doesn't work out in 12 months, I need to reassess. You at least need to say that to yourself when you start out, right? It cannot be an open-ended loop because then it gives you some checkpoints in your you know, path to say, hey, I've put this plan in place. Is this working? Is it time for plan B? Is it time for plan C? And I think sometimes it might be even worthwhile you know, if you have access to a mentor who's been through a similar process or a coach or a consultant, it might just help you, right? Rather than having to navigate this in your own head, because there are people who have done it all the time. You know, there are people who see it all the time um, and they might have a bit more impartial view about your business. Now, whether you want to listen to it is another thing, right? People can give you all the advice in the world, but if you don't want to listen, that's that. Then. <laughs> so in a long-winded way, I think. Um, Timely pivot is a very hard thing because it's opposite to having hope that your strategy is working. It's opposite to many things that we innately, the the very things that help us succeed, you know, have to be inverted to get to that stage of pivot. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Is that any any, uh, sign, like, like, you know, when you say that timely, uh, your ability to, do the pivot at the right time mm. is important. Mm. Uh, is it any? Uh, I think. I think. Uh, like, what, what is the? Yeah. Is it financial base? Is it technology base? Like, how do you? Uh, I think the financial distress we see is a lag indicator, right? There are always yeah. lead indicators. Lead indicators maybe your revenue is dropping, right? You're losing, you know, you're losing cash as a result that not as many customers are buying from you or the customer churn rate has increased or your customer's satisfaction service are coming yeah. back negative. These are the lead indicators, right? And if yeah. you yeah. have a process of reviewing the lead indicators and not saying that, oh, it's just a blip, you know, if, if it's coming quarter on yeah. quarter, yeah. it's, it's not, uh, it's not uh, exception. It, it's something's not right. Yeah. And the ability to act at that time rather than wait for a lag indicator, which is a financial indicator, would be the way I think about it. Act on the lead indicators and not the lag. Um, and, and it's fascinating how many people see the lead indicators, but don't take enough action. So they just do band-aid stuff. When, when you see consistent feedback, which is negative, hang on, you can't do band-aid. You, you, you need to say, okay, what's happening here? You know, you need to have a big action at that time so as to not be in the lag category. And, and no business yeah. wants to fail, you know, they, they ultimately all want to succeed. Yeah. So uh, kind of, I yeah. just wanted to ask you that question based on what you just said. What are, say, the top three signs you would say are signs of businesses that are going to actually fail? Is there anything that they need to look out on? Because that's one of the things I think that people are afraid of when they start out. I don't want to fail. 
But what are some things that mm. they should look yeah. out for to actually yeah, prevent that? I think that sometimes good businesses can fail as well, right? Because of situations out of our control, right? So if you think about what's happened to a tourism business during COVID, it's out of their control. It's not something they can control. But what I would say is some of the common themes I've seen in businesses which are uh, not performing as well. There, there are a couple, not necessarily in any order, but these are my top three. One is they are laggards and not early adopters when it comes to trends and innovation, right? That That's number one. Number two is the culture of the organization, which I place a huge emphasis on. It's... um. You know, when you when you walk into a business, you, when you walk into a room, you know whether the culture's alive or the culture's stagnant. You just know. And that, you know, many times comes top down. It's not a bottom-up thing. Uh, there are lots of people who have this philosophy that know what is it that you can do and what is... But I do believe that the leadership, you know, the culture is a top-down exercise. So if you don't have the right culture to get feedback, to get, you know, what's happening on the ground, you may be so far removed from what's actually happening on the ground that you are continuing to go and not have the ability to even know that there are signals or signs that tell you to pivot. And the third one is more financial, but it's cash culture. And uh, when I say cash culture, it's about prioritizing your spend to the right areas. And it's fascinating that sometimes you walk into businesses and they have prioritized spend on a certain thing or certain matter because they've always wanted to do so. And sometimes that's not a good enough reason, you know, is it the right thing that your business needs at that point in time is a question you need to ask. So. Those would be my top three, um, you know, the ability to keep an eye out for innovation and being an early adopter as opposed to a legard or the last adopter. The second is the culture so that you're not so far removed from the ground that you don't know what customers are saying. And um, yeah, the third one would be the cash culture. Th those are my common ones. Uh, are you, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, Gus or Natalie, but those no, are my. No, I, I I totally I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, I think the one that I like about uh, these three, if I have to pick one, so you mentioned about uh, don't be a laggard on trends, mm. uh, the culture of organization and the uh, financial mm. metrics where you be you really understand the cash culture. You know, I see a lot of organization. Uh, you know, they spend, but the understanding of the spending are. Very minimal. Mm. That's that's thing. But if I have to pick one that I like on this topic, obviously there's no question about culture of organization. Mm. The laggards on trends, mm. just because we like what we mentioned. You know, a lot of people build the business with passion. Mm. You know, if I'm a if I'm a mechanics, if I'm a noodle shop, if I'm a kebab shop, if I'm a, a cafe, uh, please understand that the trend might change because yeah. the world are changing. Yeah. And you need to act quick. Yeah, I really love like the example I gave earlier about really the restaurant like owner with his adding the 14 quiches to the menu. Innovation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. 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 Pretty. I, no. have, a, I have another yeah. question as well. Um, obviously, you know, uh, part of your business, you deal with a lot of company to, to help them to sell or even to buy business. But let's mm. concentrate on selling a business. Yep. Uh, yep. I'm sure many small businesses out there, uh, some of them, maybe mm. many of them, thinking, "How can I sell my business? Mm. How can I? How can I sell a mm. business?" Now, I'm not talking about uh, the process of sale. Mm. And, and for the audience, if you want a process of sale, please contact Pretty <laughs> from Ankura. That's uh, that's her expertise. I'm talking about what do you need to prepare mm. if you want to uh, to prepare your business to sell if I'm a mechanics mm. and I want to sell my business mm. I've been in the business for six years mm. and I'm getting old mm. what is the top five element that before I talk to you mm. say I'm Johnny from uh, Gus Mechanics mm. I want to talk to you mm. to sell my business before I talk to you what is the top five that I need to prepare I think the first thing 
in those circumstances when you have been a founder-led business for the longest time is you have to think whether if you do sell your business, are you going to be continuing? Do you want to work in that role for a little while? Or you might have a view, no, of course, I'm going to keep on working. That's fine. But if you don't continue to stay on, because this is a huge change. Think about it. You've been your boss for your whole life. Now, suddenly you're talking about selling because obviously you want to realize some value for this enterprise you've built. Uh, but then are you going to go and work for a large organization or the, this this buyer is a question you need to ask yourself very early on, even before you talk to an advisor or whatever, because depending on the answer you give yourself, you need to put a very competent management in place. So you can't say, I'm going to sell my business. And by the way, I'm not going to be working for more than 12 months. Sorry, bye. But but you've got to pay me top dollar. That's not going to work, right? Because this process of having the right management, general manager, whatever you want to call this person in place, is not a quick exercise here to find this person if you if you don't already have this person, right? That That's number one. Number two, I would say is, what is your goal from this process? You have to be absolutely clear. Is it maximizing the financial return that you can get? Is it making sure that the brand goes on to a good home? What is your goal? Because this will determine what kind of buyers you want to engage with. And you can be very clear when you appoint an advisor or a consultant or whoever's helping you with the sale process, business broker, maybe in some cases, what you want to achieve out of this, right? That, 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 that one. The third thing I'd say is uh, there are a lot of, you know, uh, uh, business brokers, sale advisors out there. I would actually spend, the, um, spend some time to understand, you know, of course, word of mouth reference is great, but I would spend some time with this person, maybe two, three meetings to get to know this person because you'll be seeing a lot of this person over the next three, four, five, six months. And sometimes it's kind of like a very important step in your professional journey, right? You've built this business and now you're going to sell this baby of yours. It's a very emotive, it's a very intense process. So you want to make sure you are engaging someone you're absolutely comfortable working with and trust this person to deliver the uh, an outcome. The fourth thing, and probably I'd stop at four, but the fourth thing would be to go into this process not wanting to control it, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a very, yeah. again, uh, soft advice, not a hard technical skill advice, because whoever you engage will have the technical skills too. Um, but you, you cannot control this process, right? You cannot say, this is my business, this is my price, and ABC from XYZ is going to buy it. It's, it's not that binary. There's, there's ups and downs in this process. So be patient, see how it plays out. And at every step of the way, you have the option to say, no, this is not working for me. But don't try to control the whole process. And actually, I do have one more. You said five. I do have one more. Keep your books in order. That's 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 a very important one. If you don't have your books in order and suddenly you're going to say, hey, I have all these profits, but yeah, it's not on my books. It's going to be very hard. So get a good accountant. Make sure your books are in order. So those are, I, I think, my top five. Uh, in, in the case of uh, business sales. Okay. Preeti, can I just ask, is there a specific time frame that businesses should kind of, or before they go, oh, I just want to sell and, you know, start thinking about this, is there a certain amount of time they should be, they should be preparing ahead of this when they make the decision? I, I think most people... In the context of small business. Yeah, in the context, in the context of small context business, of small. I think, I still think you have, you know, this business is your baby. You wake up, go to this business, go back home. It's a whole life. So I am pretty sure that people who get into the stage and which is not forced, sometimes situations force you, but assuming it's not a forced decision, uh, whoever is in that process has thought about it for six, eight, nine months before they get to that point. What I would just say is talk to someone earlier about it. Don't just navigate that in your head. 
talk to someone about it because you're likely to get input and make more informed choices. You know, don't just try to battle it in your head. That that would be my advice. Uh, yeah. And that's my experience. You know, it's not something you let go overnight. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was going to ask another question just going on from that. You know, we're talking about uncertainty yeah. and dealing with these times. What would be some of your tips for businesses to actually manage people during uncertain times? Actually, this is a fascinating question, you know, because um, I think when we talk about managing people, we think about other people, right? And they need to be managed. But the reality is, um, uh, as a leader, you bring your energy to the team. And if you're nervous, you know, they're all going to be nervous. Doesn't matter what you say, that everything's fine. It's all under control. No one's going to believe you because you're nervous and they know you. So the first step. Are you saying like this, Pretty? Everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think the first thing to do, like we have the instructions in the airplanes, put your own oxygen mask yeah. on, you know, try to get a plan, uh, try to Think about what you're going to do and get into a headspace where you feel a bit more comfortable before you communicate to your staff or employees. The second thing is, you know, people are not looking for lack of uncertainty. Of course, change is always uncomfortable, but, but people are not looking for lack of uncertainty. So you just need to, my view is just to treat them with respect and share with them as honestly, as openly as you can. Don't make promises you can't meet be objective and share a plan and follow through on the plan. That's all that needs to be done. People just need to know there's a plan here and this is the plan that we are working towards. You know, like many organizations during COVID went to three days or four days or what have you. And that happened through clear communication because, well, businesses said, look, you know, there's no business at this time. How do we navigate this? First step is this to preserve cash. And people understood that, right? So, Firstly, I think getting your plan sorted before you communicate and because your confidence will give people confidence is, is my biggest, uh, you know, learning from the situations I've seen. And that's fantastic. And I, I recall that conversation that we had earlier in the week. You mentioned about the importance of focusing on what you can control and not the uncontrollables. Yeah. And that really resonated <laughs> yeah. with me. Uh, would you mind expanding on that? Because that was... Yeah a great yeah. takeaway for me. Yeah. So like I said, when I came back and started my career and it was hard getting opportunities, I was always in a complaint mode for a little while there. <laughs> and my coach one day draw two circles on the board and said, what are the things you can control and what are the things you can't control? And so by the end of that, she said, look, Everything that's causing you pain is in something that you can't control. So, which means if you don't change your attitude, you're just going to be complaining and unhappy for a very long time. <laughs> and the same is with business. So, if you focus on what you can control, in my case, what I can control is the process, not the outcomes, because I can't force an outcome. I can't force a business to be sold. I can't force a buyer to buy a business. But what I can control is the process, getting the steps right, uh, responding to situations correctly. And if you focus on that, I always find that you have done the best you can uh, rather than trying to control the outcome, because really you cannot control the outcome. It, it's simple. In life, in business, you can't control the outcome. You can only control what you do, what you have, and what you make of it. So I'm a big believer in that. It has made a huge difference to my mindset. Yeah, I find it really interesting, huge. especially when you look at it. You know, COVID-19 is such a big topic, but that's really the uncontrollable, yeah. right? We should be focusing on what yeah. we can control yeah. at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those would be mine. Uh, my, uh, yeah, anyway, that is my take on the controllable, non-controllable. But, but, but to me, it was life-changing, actually, just that realization. That's something. Yeah, and I know I'm biased, but I witnessed Pretty doing this all the time. <laughs> so well, well done in, in demonstrating that all the time. Yeah. You know, the ability to focus on what you can control, the ability to actually suggest and 
even yourself went to pivot. Uh, it's it just like this is you mm. uh, on daily basis. Yeah. And for me, uh, that that alone is a uh, uh, you know uh, is a learning. Yeah. And thank you, guys. And look, I, ha- I have. Um, I know I'm looking at time, but I do have one question I wanted to ask about ownership <laughs> changes when this actually happens. Yep. Can you share with us what you think successful leaders and companies should do during ownership changes? Because this is quite a, you know, it's yep. an uncertain time if we if we want to think about it that way. Yep. Can you yep. see it all the yep. time? Uh, so, yes. So I'm going to focus on the audience today, which is the SME businesses. And the key, sorry, that's my son in the background. Okay. Uh, but the key point I want to make is many times uh, people in that environment ha- do not have a lot of experience going through that process for themselves, right? So probably it's the first time you're selling a business, first time the business you're working in is being sold. So it's really comes down to the fact that the lack of experience before causes you a lot of anxiety about what the outcome's going to be. And so I go back to my previous comment on dealing with uncertainty. I'd say, get yourself a coach, an advisor or mentor who has been through that process, who can walk you through the steps so that you feel uh, more informed about this process, right? And once you feel informed about this process, you can share with your staff um, as much as you decide to share, and you can be even transparent in saying, hey, I cannot share things I'm uncertain about or things I cannot control, but this is where we are. And hopefully you have a culture which supports that, as in they maintain confidentiality and they support you through that process. So it all depends on what kind of culture you have in the organization to be able to create a platform to share and say, hey, this is the process. Maybe there will be no outcome, you know, so that people are not on the edge. Don't make promises that you don't you can't keep or you can't control. So I would encourage communication rather than less communication because people find out anyway. But going back to the first step, the first step is making sure you're supported to help them navigate that process. Because as I say, many times it's the first time you're going through a process. So you just don't know what you don't know. And that itself causes you a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know, Gus, I'm looking at time and I know you love to give a wrap-up at the end of each episode. So do you want to hand it over to you to wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first, pretty uh, thank you so much for donating your valuable time. I know you're busy and, uh, you know, you always support me, especially, you know, at the early side of Little Talk. You know, we're pretty uh, blessed that now we are fully booked up to December with, uh, you know, even including global... Uh, global speakers, but, you know, thank you for supporting me early on this. Uh, look, to the audience, small and business owners, um, the, the the three things that I learned from Pridi uh, today uh, are your ability, and including me, our ability to pivot our business at the right time uh, is actually fundamentally important. To have a growth mindset, and what pretty mentioned before, your ability to actually be brave to hire people that's smarter, mm. different. You mm. know, if I come back to little talk number four, uh, I think with Liz Jones, uh, CEO of Lotus, she talked about diversity of thought, drive performance, and be an adaptable leader mm. uh, is so important because when you're navigating uh you know, a small business, a medium business, uh, your challenges massive. You do not have a lot of uh, cash in the bank or mm. sponsor that can come the next day. And unless you become adaptable leader, waiting for three days before this, the the boat sink uh, can be mm. very dramatic mm. for our business. Mm. And then the other thing also that I learned about the three type of distressed business uh, from you, pretty, which I think really important mm. um, uh, as as a small business, uh, people that is actually running a business and make the business become a legard towards trends. Mm. Yeah. You know your ability to actually network, mm. open ideas, uh, so you don't become a legard on trends. Mm. The culture of organization, 
uh, this is something that a lot of people talk, but at the same time, people don't actually invest mm. on the culture of a business. It's more than a, uh, what do you call? Uh, it's more than lip service. We have a good culture. What is a good culture? How do the leaders actually take a brave decision to build that? And then from the financial position, uh, have a cash culture. Prioritize when you spend, when you're not to spend. Be open when you don't have the cash and actually go deep and go go really tight because in the absence of financial uh, capability, uh, whatever we talk about, because we're talking about business here, even at home, I guess, uh, we will fail. So pretty Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your time, printing. Thank you very and much. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning thank in. You. For more information on Leader Talk or for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.